I'm McKinney Smith. After going through a divorce, my sister passing away, experiencing narcissistic abuse, and some significant health scares, I realized through sharing my story that I wasn't alone in my suffering. Suffering, subjective distress generated by the experience of being out of balance. In a deep dive to holistically heal mind, body, and soul is where I discovered peace, clarity, and connection. It is impossible to be truly wise without some real-life hardship, and we cannot develop post-traumatic wisdom without making it through, and most importantly, through it together. Social connection builds resilience, and resilience helps create post-traumatic wisdom, and that wisdom leads to hope. Hope for you and others witnessing and participating in your healing, and hope for your community. A healthy community is a healing community, and a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. Thank you for joining us on the Heal Her podcast, H-E-A-L, Honor, Elevate, and Love Her podcast formerly known as the Iwaka My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show globally, where we have conversations with extraordinary women on their journey towards wholeness and harmony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. As a certified mindset coach guiding women towards peace, clarity, and connection within, supporting the direction of the system toward wholeness, my goal here is to help you thrive. Danielle Laporte teaches how to lead with the intelligence of love. She's a member of Oprah's Super Soul 100, a group who, in Oprah Winfrey's words, is uniquely connecting the world together with a spiritual energy that matters. The former director of a future studies think tank in Washington, D.C., where she managed a team creating global scenarios, she now speaks on the intelligence of the heart. Danielle is a five-time author, and her most recent book, How to Be Loving, When Your Heart is Breaking Open and the World is Waking Up, is a nuanced perspective on the life-changing power of self-compassion, shadow work, and being more receptive to higher guidance. This is a guide on how to use the genius of your heart to create conditions for healing. This book has a companion of a deck and journal, and she's also the producer of dozens of meditation kits and online programs for spiritual support. Her podcast, With Love, Danielle, often ranks in iTunes Top 100 for Wellness. She's been seen on Essence, Vogue, Forbes, InStyle, Oprah Mag, and much, much more. So please welcome to the show, Danielle Laporte. Hello. Hello, McKinney listeners. (laughs) Thank you so much, Danielle, for agreeing to come on and share energy and space with us. I've been following on Instagram since 2017. And I forever internet year. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. It's been a long time. And I've been following your work. And I actually attended the Archangels uh, Changemaker Summit in Toronto, September, um, mainly because I wanted to hear you and Dr. Shivali, like two of my favorite, favorite women. And I got out of my fear of asking and I decided to pop into your DMs and ask if you do this interview and you said yes. So thank you. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Can't say, I mean, I'm a yes, but you can never say no to a Canadian. <laughs> I love that. I feel honored. 
before we get into like the work that you do now and all of the wonderful gems that you have to share, I would love to know a little bit more about younger Danielle before society shaped who you are, before you became who you are presently. Like, what did you want to be as a little girl and what were you like as a teenager? You know, those, um, those school books that we can get, it's like this, uh, kind of collector's school book where your mom writes notes about you and puts in your report cards. And so in that one, I was about, it was like grade three. I wanted to be um, a disco dancer, a poet and a social worker. Okay. And I think I am all those things now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I want to uplift society. I try and do it poetically. I need to dance more, but I thought I'm, I wanted to be famous mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure how I was going to do it, but there was, I'd, I have to say like the, the perspective was like, I want to make a contribution, but when you're three, you know, you're in grade three, you're not thinking in terms of contribution. It was just like, there's a bigness that I want to be a part of. And then when I was a teenager, I left home young. So I was technically a runaway mm-hmm. and I was 16 and you know, I I didn't have to hit the streets. I lived with some friends in high school and I was very Catholic. Um, I was really into Vogue magazine. (laughs) I was pretty straight, like pretty straight laced. And I just want to make out all the time. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. So you wanting to be the disco dancer and the poet to me, like that speaks to the the creative side and then the social worker wanting to like help and, and serve humanity. And now you look at the work that you do with the combination of the creativity and, you know, what speaks to the soul and, and all that. I love it. It's, it's interesting how, I don't know, my brain just automatically connected what you wanted to be then to what you do now. Yeah. There's one of the few books that I've read more than once is by the psychotherapist, um, psychoanalyst named James Hillman. The book is called The Soul's Code. Mm-hmm. He talks about the acorn theory, which is everybody has in them the acorn of their greatness, of course, but that you can really see it in childhood. And he tells this great story, but only in hindsight. It's like, you can't quite make out where this kid is going. But then when they're adult, you're like, ah, it was all there. Mm-hmm. He tells this great story of, um, I forget his name, but he was the greatest bullfighter that Spain has ever seen. He's like a hero, like a real, you know, rock star. And when he was young, he was just this wimpy, frail little kid. And the visual was he was always hiding behind his mother's apron. Mm. And then his, call it his daemon, his life purpose was able to emerge when his body got big enough for his purpose. So it's like he hit puberty and he stopped hiding behind the apron and picked up the cloak, you know, the red cloak to fight the bulls with. And yeah, everybody's got their acorn that shows up later. I love it. So what is the book called again? I'm going to read that one. It's really beautiful. It's called The Soul's Code or A Soul's Code, James Hillman. He's since passed away, but it's really beautiful. And so many stories of people who blossomed later in life. Really inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm adding that to my reading list. Um, I, 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 
I've, I've, well, your book was not one of the 24 that I read for 2022. So next year's list. (laughs) So, okay. So you talked a little bit about your childhood and you said that you left home at, at 16. I can totally relate. I left home at 17, but I mean, we're all born into, you know, a particular set of circumstances and our values are kind of defined by what we experience. So when you were a child and you were younger, were you born into like hardship or luxury? Like how did your circumstances as a child um, affect your paradigm basically? Mm, it's a great question. I had really young parents. So my mom got knocked up in high school and had to quit high school as a result. And my dad was a hockey player and was working in arenas. I think the fact that I had really young parents really shaped me because they were cool. They were hip. There were lots of parties. Um, my mom took me to St. Clair College with her. Like I got potty trained in the ladies room at the college because she had to go back to school and she had to take me, you know? And so I got exposed, you know, this was like the seventies and I got exposed to a lot of stuff. And so my mom was reading Wayne Dyer when nobody knew who Wayne Dyer was. You just like this bald guy, erogenous zones was his first book. You know, my mom gave me uh, Louise Hayes's you can heal your life, which is, you know, that new age classic. And then there was my dad just, being kind of tough, not tough on me necessarily, but just like being like a real kind of macho dude from just like small town. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but being cool, like I got to do things other kids didn't get to do. That was for sure. My mom was really steeped into self-help, was becoming a counselor herself. And then my dad is on the other side saying, you know, like this is all woo woo cuckoo. And I think that was actually ended up being a gift because one of the things I can do now is I can make really high concept metaphysical principles, very accessible because I can hear both positions. Right. Yeah. Okay. So considering how your, your parents had, I'm going to say opposite perspectives and And divorced. Yeah. So I'm I'm sure that like you said like you it it shaped how you were able to process that information and how you, how you teach it now. So before I get to my next question, I guess give a Coles notes version of how you got to where you are presently. Like coming from the young girl with opposite perspective parents, moving out at 16 to now doing the work that you do. Very interested in the truth. Just I wanted, I was eating metaphysical books. I was going to the workshops. I was learning through obsession. I didn't go to college or university. I was, I was going to go to Ryerson actually and go into fashion design. I was brazen. I just, I want to work for you. I pick up the phone and just say, this is why you need to hire me. Um, I want a promotion. Here's why I deserve it. It was like just really a lot of boldness. And there's a shadow side to that boldness. I mean, that boldness was also arrogance, which was really masking a lot of fear of authority and being controlled and all those things. But I really used my boldness for the light. (laughs) Like I got some stuff. Uh, I moved a couple mountains and I wanted to know why I was the way I was like, why are we here? 
what has Catholicism got to do with things? I was a really religious child. I was, but then I wanted to know about auric fields. And then I wanted, then there was a whole psychedelic phase. And then I just want to know. I just want to know. I feel that this isn't, it's going to sound a bit dramatic, but, and I don't mean it this way, but it's like, I feel I was born with a broken heart, mm-hmm. like very sensitive. And by sensitive, I don't mean I identify as a highly sensitive person. That's a different situation, but just like, I felt the pain of the world. And I want, when I, I wanted to marry Jesus, I think that's where I was when I was little and just longed for God. I really long for God connection. Wow. And then the way I'm designed, I love entrepreneurship and, you know, I have all this Gemini. So the writing and the communication and all this Virgo must serve and all this other stuff is just like, okay, let's turn that into something.com and go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned, you know, shadow work and stuff. So, okay. So for the listeners that are listening, um, cause I, I feel like I hear a lot about light work but I don't feel I hear enough about shadow work. <laughs> so for those who are listening that don't know what either one is, if you want to like sum it up for them, and then maybe we'll, we'll get into some steps that they can take to begin on their journey with that. Light work does not happen without the shadow work. Shadow work is light work. And I'll tell you, and I, you know, I'm sensing like you get what's going on is, you know, what happens in this self-help space Everybody want to be a light worker because who doesn't want to be super intuitive and psychic and dissolve all these things and have excellent boundaries? Girlfriends, <laughs> you do not. That is, that is the gift that comes from going to the really ugly, gnarly basement of your psyche, shadow dark places. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure everybody listening is, you know, just even just like familiar with the concept of like, there's going to be initiations. Like that's the initiation you're going to fall for. And I don't mean romantically, just, you know, you're going to fall for the package of a light worker who's really just feeding off of you. And I mean, we can get in the whole metaphysics of how it can work sometimes, but shadow work is when you look at the stuff that you don't want to look at when you Learn to love all the reasons you're in therapy. So whatever your thing is, everybody right now, think about what you think. Is your thing obsessiveness or you're like a little bit jealous or you got this insecurity or the body issues or the trauma or arrogance or whatever it is until you can integrate that into yourself and actually be respectful of it because guess what? You created it. Mm-hmm. There, there's no light work. There's no bonus. All healers were wounded and healed themselves. So I'm always interested, you know, when I engage with someone, I've really slimmed down all of my practices and like how many astrology readings I get and all that stuff. There's very few. Just had my first astrology reading in 10 years recently. And I want to know someone's suffering story. Mm -hmm. This is a, this is like, I'm making an overstatement, but it's like, I don't trust you unless you suffered. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same. I feel the same. I feel like over the last four and a half years of doing this podcast, a, a common similarity um, between all the women is that their their pain birthed their purpose. There was some form of pain that they transmuted into their purpose. And it's like, if someone hasn't 
experienced hardship or if they are not able to be vulnerable and transparent enough with me to share something, it's almost like if they're trying to remain surface level, I can't trust you. Like I've had friend circles where, I don't know, nine out of the 10 women are sharing and being vulnerable. And there's always this one that just wants to keep everything, just want anybody to know her business and doesn't. And it's like, uh, I don't know if I feel a deep connection to that person. So I'm just not going to be as close to that person because they're not ready to do the work. This is a great point about the person who doesn't want anybody to know their business because sometimes that's actually the higher road, but you can still share and connect to people. And then sometimes it's, you know, as you're saying, like this total avoidance, because also in the space of personal development, we can get caught in this loop of like, we retell the same story, Mm -hmm. you know, being in also being in this space, you know, when you're a public speaker, you're trained to, if you get training and coaching to really have your sob story. Like, oh, I was down and out. I was sleeping on my sister's couch. I was about to declare bankruptcy. And you tell that story over and over again. So like people, the audience trust you and all that. And there's so many times it's like, brother, you got to move on from that story. Yeah. But we need to be accessible. Like I've been through the dark night. I hear you. I've been on my knees. Like there can be no hiding. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I see people just haven't suffered enough and may no one suffer. May we be free of mental anxiety. May we be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. But I, there are some people I think, oh, she just hasn't hit it yet. Mm-hmm. She's going to be on her knees with the next challenge. And then we're going to hear about her story. And then she's going to go heal, help heal hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when you said you you feel like you were born with a broken heart, like that hit my heart. <laughs> that resonated with me because, I mean, I'm, oh God, I forgot how old I am. I'm 43, I think. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like I'd say for the first 40 years of my life, I didn't realize the level of trauma and struggle life that I had lived. And it wasn't until I got into the space of personal development and speaking where I'm sharing my story and other people are like, oh my God, you had it hard. How are you still so positive? Oh my God, that's horrible. Like, so it didn't sink in until maybe about three years ago. And that's where that resilience is my superpower came from. It was almost my reminder to myself that I'm, I've been through some stuff, but I've been able to get up from that stuff and still move forward and thrive. And I totally forgot my point of where I was going with that. <laughs> well, it's, it's how you tell your story, right? Yeah. But it's like, first, you don't even know your story. And then you get it. And it brings you down into it. Like, you know, even that, that metaphor I used earlier, like, you know, you're going to get on your knees. It's not so much that life is breaking you. It's just the story is underneath the covers. And it's saying, come Reckon with me, look at me, bring me into the light. That's mm-hmm. this is what how to be loving is about. Like you make the unconscious conscious mm-hmm. by looking at it and loving it, no running from it. Yeah. You know, I've been talking a lot lately about overcoming your fear is the most ridiculous thing ever. Love your fear, stop mm-hmm. pushing it down and quote, overcoming it. Yeah. Um, I just spoke on a, a panel a couple hours ago and that kind of came up as a question. And I said, we never really overcome our fear. It's working through it. The fear 
exist. It's just our ability to work through it to get to the rewards on the other side. It's yeah. not overcoming it. it. It doesn't disappear. Yeah. So, okay. So can you, I guess, speak to, you know, what the inner child is and how we heal it? I love talking about the inner child because it's really powerful and I think it's misunderstood. So everybody, the and this is my perspective. You might hear different things. The inner child, your inner child is not you in this lifetime when you were eight years old. It's not you going back in time sequentially to heal things. The inner child is just a really great term for your unhealed self. And the reason I think it's a great term is because as soon as you hear inner child, you soften a bit and you and you also want to step into care, which is what is required of the unhealed self. So like we have a meditation called Love and Radiance, which is all about communing with your inner child. And we work with light and nature images. And some people will say, well, my inner child came to me and just like, looked really frazzled and anxious and didn't even want to come near me. And I'm just like, that's where you are right now with your own woundedness. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not who you really were. You weren't really a frazzled necessarily younger version of you. Just like that's where you're not. And stick with the inner child inter interaction because she, he, they may show up differently every time you go into that practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, f- I feel like when it comes to healing, a lot of people have this misconception that it's linear. I would love if you could share with those that are listening your beliefs about healing process. Super messy, not linear at all. So I used to think, <laughs> I used to think of healing as more like a checklist and like, okay, I dealt with your basic family of origin stuff. No one, no one gets out of childhood unscathed because nobody's enlightened. You know, we don't have enlightened parents. So, so check. And then I deal with some other trauma and check. And then I deal with high school trauma check. And then I deal with the divorce, you know, and, and so what would happen because I had that kind of sequence perspective, then when something would come to the surface, I was going to say came for me, which sometimes feels like (laughs) But when something then would come to the surface, I'd be like, I thought I dealt with this in therapy. I thought I really forgave them. I did deal with it in therapy. And I did really, the forgiveness was really real. It's just the lesson is coming back. So you can just go a little deeper with it. And what I've learned is that there's stuff that came up for me in my 40s, things I saw and realized and just things to deal with, that if they would have come up for me in my 20s, I might have been in the psych ward, mm-hmm. didn't have the psychic, energetic resiliency yet, mm-hmm. handle it. And now in my 40s, there I am with tools. I have breath work, I have meditation, I have psychotherapy, I have the basics of shadow work. I have a job, I can pay my rent. I have a bit of money. So if I have a breakdown and can't work for three months, I can. So the deeper the depths of the lessons come when we can actually accommodate them. Yeah. Yeah. When I when I read that in in the book How to Be Loving, that actually helped me because I felt like mm. as I was working through healing some things over the last couple of years, things that would come up to trigger me, I was like, but I thought I dealt with that. I thought I healed from that. So I would be 
irritated with myself. And then I read in your book that it's, you know, when it, when you're triggered by something, you're just prepared to go deeper. Like that, that allowed me to give myself grace because it was like, okay, I'm, it's not that I haven't healed from it. It's I'm actually ready to go. I healed to a certain point from it, but now I'm ready to go even deeper. So that, that definitely helped me. And isn't that so much more empowering? Aren't you just like, A, I'm not a loser. Yeah. B, like I've got what it takes to go deeper. Yeah. yeah. So much healthier. Yeah. That it it empowered me a lot, actually, <laughs> because I, I felt like in the work that I'm doing, I always feel like, okay, I just need to be at least one step of, ahead of the people that I'm working with. But then when I was triggered by something that I felt shouldn't trigger me, I felt like, shamed and then understanding now that I was I'm just now prepared to go even deeper and do more work I'm like oh okay then I'm actually giving myself more tools to be to make more of an impact but also I'm healing on a deeper level than I ever thought possible does that make sense and you know another thing is um this may be depressing or it may be inspiring. I think we really deal with the same three to five issues for one lifetime. And when that first occurred to me, I was like, hmm, (laughs) you know, like just the same, that's kind of like one big hamster wheel, but it's good news because it means once you get through it, you really get through it. It's not going to, it's not going to chase you again. And it's better than dealing with 20 different emotional issues or mental situations. Yeah. So now I'm just like, oh, that's my abandonment issue. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, there it is again. That's Mm -hmm. my thing. Yeah. I think we do want to get over the thing, but some things we may carry the whole lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. I think as you said that, I was like, I know my two for sure is the abandonment issues and the rejection issues. I don't know what the third one may be, but those two I know for sure are the ones that always come up for me. Mm. And isn't, I mean, I know you, you, this is you, but you heal part of that and you can help other people heal that part. So yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, the abandonment, like the word, the term antidote, the practice of figuring out the antidote has been really powerful for me. Do you know Tracy Stanley's work? No. You should know Tracy. She's amazing. Um, Her work is all around yoga nidra. She is just a powerful teacher. And I did a workshop with her and it was, the question was, you know, you identify all your stuff, like where are you at in life and what are you tired of being tired of? She's much more yogic and elegant about this. Um, and then we created the antidote. So if you're tired of being tired, the antidote might be, you know, celebration and enthusiasm, something like that. For me, the antidote to the abandonment issue was deep self-acceptance. Like I love myself as is, even with my unhealed stuff. And then even deeper, which was really my dark night of the soul of just getting to, I am the beloved. I am the beloved. And God doesn't need me to prove anything. Mm-hmm. Like what a relief. Mm-hmm. What a relief. Yeah. So my, my parents split um, before I was a year old and for, I'm going to say maybe 40 years of my life, 
I thought that them splitting had something to do with me. Mm -hmm. And there was a part of me that had to heal from other things that when I was going through that process was in search of the truth. And in having conversations with my father, I realized like my parents had issues before I was even conceived, <laughs> but it helped release a lot of the abandonment that I felt from my father leaving and going on and having another family because I, it had nothing to do with me, absolutely nothing to do with me, but I held on to that for so long. So I was able to release that. But I mean, okay, so as as we heal, oftentimes I find that we feel the need to like implement these boundaries. And mm-hmm. I would love for you to share some of your perspectives on boundaries. Mm. I think we're becoming overbounded. Yeah. I think I think there's an enlightened approach to boundaries, a really spiritually mature approach to boundaries. And I'm all for it. Gotta have them really part of becoming an adult, a spiritually mature adult. And then there's a real shadow side to all the boundary stuff. And it's, it's, a, it's a bummer because, you know, some of my dearest friends have written some great stuff on boundaries. And I can see how it's getting misused. And that what I see happening is when you're overbounded, you're walking through the world going, this doesn't work for me, but this does. It's so divisive and exclusionary. and it makes you so hard to please. Mm-hmm. And I think I write about this in How to Be Loving. I tell this story. I'm on a walk with somebody I really love. I'm committed to loving them for the rest of my life. And they are unhealed like we all are. And they're being a bit of a dink to me, you know, like mm-hmm. it's kind of a passive aggressive thing they do. And, you know, I just have done enough work. It just caught me on just the right day. I was a little bit more enlightened than the day before. And I just thought, I have space for them to treat me like shit today. Now, like shadow boundaries will say, should have drawn that line and said, you can't talk to me like that. And that doesn't work for me. And okay, there are times to do that for sure. But that day I chose to, my practice was like, I literally looked at the sky. Do you know, I talk a lot about in the book, the sky, your heart is as vast as the sky. And I just thought to myself, as they're like, going at me. I just thought if I am this vast, if I got this much to love to give, I can let them have a bad day Yeah, because they haven't dealt with their stuff because they need a little more therapy, a little more meditation. Yeah. And that was the difference between a big fight mm-hmm. and probably not getting together for another month or so and having a lovely afternoon. I think that's an amazing example of when you were doing the work, when you were focused on your healing, because I feel like healed ears hear different. So we like someone's actions, if you're healed, you don't internalize that, right? If you're in a place where you really need to work on your healing, you take offense and you may, you know, not even create a boundary, create a complete wall, right? And we're, we're wired for connection. So if we are doing the work, then when someone says or does something that doesn't show them in their best light, it's really a reflection of what's going on inside of them that needs a hug, basically. <laughs> you know, but we're so quick sometimes to take offense to that or take it personal and, you know, add fuel to the fire of words and hurtful things that we can't take back. Yeah. The metaphor I use for the ego is the wounded dog. It just 
Now, I grew up on a farm, so I saw a lot of hurt, hurt dogs. And the best thing for the dog is to let you scoop them up, get them to the vet, and they won't let you come near them. Mm-hmm. And that's where most of us hang out with our, like, you know, don't come near me, my pain, my shame, bark, bark, bark. Don't get too close to all the stuff that's unhealed, bark, bark, bark. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Before I even got into personal development, I don't remember what book it was, but I had picked up a book because I wasn't into reading back then, but I had picked up a book and it was talking about, you know, the walls that we put up to protect ourselves. Actually, was it a book? I think it was one of my pastor's sermons back then, but um, he was talking about the walls that we put up to protect ourselves. And very often when we've been hurt, we put up a wall so high that we keep everybody out, including the people that we need to love us so that we would want to love us. And then there are some of us that have no boundaries at all, that the wall is so low that it lets every and anything in and it's, you know, hurting us. So it's learning to have boundaries that are somewhere in the middle where you're not letting everything and everyone come in and seep their toxic, like toxic toxicity, but it's not so high that you're keeping out what's meant to love you and who's meant to love you and, and who you're meant to connect with. This comes up a lot with women who consider themselves on the spiritual path of in romantic relationships. Like, should I stay or should I go? What's the spiritual thing to do? And I believe like a lot of us leave the relationship way too soon and we shouldn't leave before the miracle comes and we can really love it into something amazing. Mm -hmm. And our responsibility as children of God, as humans is to create conditions of healing for ourselves. So I will often say like, well, if you were a child, what would you tell yourself? You'd say like, don't hang out with bullies and hang out with people who are friendly and make you laugh and it's cozy Mm -hmm. and relax. So if it's too toxic and it's damaging to you, you've got to leave because that has to be your commitment to your soul. Yeah. That is you. You taking care of yourself is you meeting God halfway. Mm. Yeah. I love that. That that'll definitely be one of your quotables from this episode. No, that that one <laughs> that one hit right here. <laughs> it like you had a lot of growth in the last three years. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been on an accelerated program in the last three, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. One thing I I wanted to um, touch on was something that you said at the Archangel Summit where you said you created your fear. You created it in your mind. I wanted to touch on that because I wanted you to unpack that because if if I was someone who was not healed or healing on my healing journey, if I was someone who was not into personal development, I would have heard that and probably been irritated. But (laughs) But because I've been doing the work... I, I wrote it down and I took note of that and I, I have that in my head here, but I would love if you could unpack that for the ladies that are listening. Well, you create all of your emotions. So you create your fear, your happiness, your sadness, your envy, your satisfaction. That's all you generating that. It's how you look at things. It's what you choose to believe. So it's actually really great news. It's incredible news. It's the best news ever. Because if you created your fear, you can create your courage. If you created your fear and you're going to take responsibility for that, you get to take responsibility for a whole lot of stuff in your life, including creating wellness, 
and the love of your life and all those things, which does get into like manifestation stuff. And can everybody have anything that want? Which I don't think the answer is yes to all of that, but you can have everybody, everybody, everybody can have deep meaningfulness and satisfaction and happiness. Doesn't mean everybody can win an Olympic gold. You know what I mean? Right. So I look at fear as a mind baby. And all, all of those things that I just listed off from the envy to the happiness are little, what if you looked at them like, oh, this is, these are my little mind babies, my children. Then you have a really different approach to those things. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to overcome your fear. You're not trying to repress your jealousy. You're not yelling at your anxiety. You engage in a friendly, kind of almost parental, goddess-like relationship with all of your little creations. Mm-hmm. And that's how you become whole. So how we get more fractured and more messed up and more anxious and more scared and all those things is we push all those things away. And we say to fear, you need to be something else. And we say to our doubt, you need to be faithful. And your doubt is just saying, but I'm just doubt. Can you just love me? Mm-hmm. And you're saying, I'm just fear. Why do I have to be fearless? I'm just fear. Just love it as is. Love is this as is situation. Mm-hmm. And I, that's when you become really powerful. I believe nothing happens by chance, but I found it so interesting that when you said those words and I took notes, I took the notes down and I saved it in my phone and my son said those exact words, my son is 16 and he said those exact words to me about two weeks ago. And when I was prepping for this conversation and I went into my notes that I took from you and I was like, wow, okay. (laughs) So what did your son say? So he said to me, because, okay, I have a, a serious fear of spiders. I don't care what size they are. I'm terrified of spiders. And one of my business partners, um, she's also a Procter & Gallagher consultant. She was one of Bob's top consultants. Um, her and I do a lot of collaborations together. So we co-wrote my most recent book and she's in Australia. And I've, oh. in my head, spiders. <laughs> yeah. In my head, I'm like, I love Susanna. I cannot wait to go to Australia. But my fear of spiders, it's in my head and it's hindering me from like making, I guess, the moves that I should be making because I'm supposed to be there, you know, doing book signings and all these things. And I'm putting them off. And my son's like, Mom, you created that fear in your head. You created it, which means you can change it. You're not afraid of spiders. You told yourself that. Now untell yourself that. And, and I was like, you spent getting certified as a coach. <laughs> and your kids got it. <laughs> right? I mean, my son is a little genius. I feel like he was here before, but oh, it's just him saying that and then me looking at your words of how they, you know, stuck with me. I was like, yeah, nothing happens by chance. But fear is fear, anxiety is anxiety. It's looking for some place to latch on to. So it's like your mind has said, okay, I'm going to put, I'm going to put a significant amount of this fear that I have in my system onto spiders. It could be, you could be afraid of like, you know, this, what are the buses in Toronto? The TTC? Uh, the TTC. Like anything. Yeah. Um, like I was just saying to a healer that I work with, I'm having some anxiety around my relationship. That's just circling back again. It's the stuff that came up when we first got together. And she's just like, anxiety is anxiety. And I was like, Right. So if I'm not so focused and I say to myself, it's actually not about the relationship. Your fear is actually not about the spiders. You just have fear. Mm -hmm. 
my experience is it's way looser. It loosens its grip. So maybe you can go to Australia now. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's so many things that I've applied. Like, okay, so when I wrote my first book and I was like looking up the different definitions of fear and all that stuff. So the acronym um, false evidence appearing real. I, in my head, switched that to face everything and rise because I knew that everything I wanted was on the other side of what I was afraid of. So I, anytime I want something and I know that there's that terror barrier, the fear in the way, it's like, okay, how do I push through that? so that I can get to the rewards that I want, whether it be tangible rewards or fulfillment or what have you. So I know deep down inside, like I just need to push through, go to Australia and get it done. But it's maybe my mind is just blown and stuck on the fact that my 16 year old has said this to me. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell the listeners where they can stay connected to you, where they can listen to your podcast, where they can buy the books. Thanks for asking now before the final segment, because yes. most people ask at the end and you know people are just like clicking off like, oh, I've had enough. Um, <laughs> yes, thank you. I live at daniellelaporte.com and there's all sorts of beautiful heart centered things there. And the book is everywhere. And yeah, where are we? Well, I'm going to assume lots of your listeners are Canadian. So actually they're more American and overseas. So we've got maybe 50% in the U S probably 30% in Canada and the rest are mixed between the UK, Australia and the Caribbean everywhere. You can get the book everywhere. And I hang out whether I like it or not on Instagram at Danielle Laporte. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I will have all of your direct links in the detailed section of the episode. So they don't have to search too far. They can just click and connect directly. (laughs) So the final segment of the show is kind of like a rapid fire. You can answer one word, one sentence. Um, I mean, I don't like rules. I don't like to be confined. So if you decide you want to expand and unpack, feel free. Okay. I love rapid fire. (laughs) Okay. If you could create one law that everyone in the world had to follow, what would it be? That anyone who's becoming a parent has to take a course in parenting, unconscious parenting. Of course, you know, I'd have to authorize the content, make sure it's all about <laughs> um, But we need to be taught how to be parents. Yeah, I agree. I We could do a whole episode on that one. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, what's the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up? Pray. Still in bed saying prayers. Awesome. Okay. So what's the last thing you do at night before you go to sleep? Right. Usually at night it's about gratitude. So the morning is more of an affirmation. Like the current one I'm working with is I have a set of words. So I will say I am healing. I am health. I am strength. I am soul light. I am mercy. I am faith. I am hope. I am grace. That's my morning. And then sometimes I'll do the Lord's prayer, our father. Mm-hmm. Um, and then nighttime is always, I'm grateful for these things. And here's why. And I, we turn this into a practice with my son. So even when he was just like a little button, um, I'd say, okay, three gratitudes. And you have to say, cause why? So you could say like, I'm grateful we have a house because mm-hmm. we make food here. We have friends over here. It's the specificity with the gratitude is important. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that. Um, I, I think actively 
practicing gratitude is not done enough. So I'm, it's beautiful that you do that with your son. I love that. Okay. What have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? And that could be distractions, family invitations. I've become better at saying no to things that don't resonate, even though they're potentially high visibility. So it can be really tempting when someone is like, Hey, you know, they've got 5 million people on Instagram and I'm just like, yeah, I'm not, I don't think we're on the same page about things. <laughs> and, and that has proven to be a wise decision because you can do an interview with someone who has a thousand people on Instagram, but you're really connecting and it turns into, they sell books for you. Yeah. And I have been on IG lives with someone with like 5 million followers and they're just not getting how it's going. <laughs> and, um, you don't, doesn't even move the needle. So resonance yeah. moves things forward. I love, uh, yeah. And I, I love even just the example that you gave, because I think some people, especially if they're a new entrepreneur, they get lost in the numbers, the superficiality of it. Mm-hmm. And I think it was actually Gary Vee that I learned this from where he said, whether they have a small audience of a hundred people versus, you know, a hundred thousand or, or a million, he doesn't dismiss them because the smaller audience could be more impactful if one, it aligns, but two, you don't even know who's in their audience that needs to hear what it is you have to say versus the, the person with the the larger following, no influence. And, you know, their audience isn't aligned with your, your values or your beliefs. So. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Last but not least, what new belief behavior or habit has improved your life in the last five years? Oh, I can give it to you for the last week. I, this is me taking my own medicine. So one of my favorite pages in how to be loving, I mean, there's a whole chapter that's wrapped around this is the page that says you are not the wound. You are the healer. And I've been struggling with respiratory stuff and asthma. This is, you know, it's been many years, but it's really flared up this last winter. And just in these last couple of days and today specifically, just my kid, just before, just before we got on, um, my kid just walked out of his room. He's about to turn 19. He's like, how's it going, mom? And I said, I'm not going to tell you the pet name I call him, but I just, <laughs> I have decided that I am not my asthma. I'm mm. the healer. Yeah. And I'm going to get so healthy that I can live wherever I want. Cause I've been like, do I have to move out of this apartment? Do I have to move out of Vancouver because of the rain? La, la, la. And I'm just like, no, I am not that. I am the healer. I am healing itself. Amen. 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 <laughs> you know what? I, how do I say this? Okay. I'll, I'll give an example of how I utilized what you said for myself because I see it happening for you. So before I got certified through um, Bob's company, um, I had already been in the circle with Bob, his wife, Linda, and his daughter, Colleen. So when they were looking for more coaches, I had one of their um, top consultants contact me. And in the moment I was sick, like I I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia back in 2006. So like chronic pain, fatigue, you name it. And I was basically like having a flare up. I couldn't function. I couldn't work. I couldn't, like I was just sickly. And he said something along those lines to me about me not being the fibromyalgia and not claiming it and labeling myself with that. And it's been at least... I'm going to say 
more, I feel like it's been more than six years, but I have not had a fibromyalgia flare up. I no longer claim the fibromyalgia. It's like me, I, I am not the sickness. I am not all of those things. I am, like you said, the healer. And I had to, I'm going to say reverse engineer the diagnosis because they diagnose anyone with chronic pain, you know, and suffering like that with, with fibromyalgia, right? They just label them with it, right? And then they say that a symptom of it is anxiety and depression. But when you study mindset and spirituality and understand like the trauma body and all those things, it's the depression and anxiety that's causing your body to feel those things. So it's now having the tools and the coping mechanisms to deal with the emotions, the feelings, you know, the, the low vibrations that have basically helped me rid myself of any fibromyalgia flare-ups. Brilliant. Oh my gosh. That is so, you're my medicine today. That's so much. (laughs) Well, thank you. I I feel like everything you said, I totally resonated with. I, I had your book as my, my morning routine and my partner was like, what are you reading? How to be loving. You don't need that. You're loving. I'm like, no, no, no. I need this. I need this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for not only the work that you do, but, you know, the book and the journal and and the cards and just your energy. Because I know that when you're in this space doing light work, shadow work, whatever it is, like it's it's not easy. Some people may make it look easy, but it's not easy. You know, life still has its trials and tribulations, but you still push through and you're still serving and you're still giving. So just thank you. Thank you. This was great. And to all of you healers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms. Don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. And I just want to thank each and every one of you that continues to listen each week and help the show to rank globally in the top 1.5% of most popular shows. And I want to challenge you to share this episode with at least five women. Feel free to screenshot this episode and you can tag Danielle at Danielle Laporte. You can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith. A healthy community is a healing community and a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. So let's continue to heal her.